Generation Mix. Hello and welcome to Generation Mix. This is the podcast where a father and a son review the CDs that the father's been making for the son for the last five years or so. I'm the dad, I'm Neil. I'm the son, I'm Joel. And whilst you might be expecting us to be listening to the music of the Pogues, based on our musical clue, it isn't. We're actually going to listen to the music of Kirsty McCall. So she emerged in the late 70s, had a string of minor hit singles in the 80s, and mainstream success, by and large, kind of eluded her. But she she was having... Uh, she. she she released several albums over the next 20 years until her untimely death at the turn of the millennium in 2000. I think we should dive straight in with, as a solo artist, was her biggest single. It is a cover of a song by a fellow called Billy Bragg and it's called A New England. Okay, it's a great bouncy pop song. Yeah, I don't like that type of but, bouncy. Well, we might be in for a tough listen then, because there's a fair bit of bouncy 80s pop type stuff on here with a few serious undertones. That song, as I said, was written by Billy Bragg originally. And when she covered it, he kind of felt the song wasn't long enough, so he wrote some additional verses. And since her death, He's always included those verses in his own version of the song, in a kind of a tribute to her. I think A New England is a great song. So she released her greatest hits in the mid-90s, which was interesting since she hadn't had a huge number of highly successful chart singles. But what she did do was she toured it. She had crippling stage fright virtually all of her career. So the fact that she went out and toured was amazing. And the next track comes from that greatest hit, which was called Galore, and it's Caroline. Better, but still only okay. It's got a little bit more in terms of harder edge to the guitars in it, which possibly reflects the fact that I think it was recorded during the album sessions for Titanic Days, which, as an album, followed on from her divorce from her then-husband. We're going to go straight to that album and listen now to the title track.
I was only meh. I thought you were enjoying that when I was watching you just now. No. I thought you liked the fact that it was a little bit more potentially darker sounding and undertones on it. I mean, one thing you say, you remember when you used to say you didn't like songs that were jangly, happy sounding and that the mu- the words didn't line up with that, yeah? Yeah. Which is your main criticism about madness and to a certain extent the beautiful south. She doesn't do that. She doesn't put dark lyrics under jangly, happy tunes. There's There's always that undercurrent of sadness or melancholy or menace even like I think there is in Titanic Days in that song I love Titanic Days so I mentioned that she went out on tour after Galore was released well I went and saw that tour it was at the Sheffield Octagon and I went with my friend Neil whom regular listeners of the podcast will remember guested on the Deacon Blue episode and another friend of ours called Miriam and we decided at the end of the concert to hang around at the stage door at the back. And we were the only people there. And eventually someone came out and said, are you waiting for Kirsty?" We went, yep. And she, he said, follow me. And he took us three down into the, um, into the bottom of the, the stage area. And she signed my ticket. I've still got a signed ticket from Kirsty McCall. Oh. From the gig at the Sheffield Octagon. One thing that Kirsty McCall was very noted for was for an undercurrent of humour and clever humour at that in her songs, either in the content or in some of the titles. Her first proper hit single was called There's a Guy Works Down the Chip Shop Swears He's Elvis, which isn't on here. The next track I've picked was on the 12-inch single of A New England, and it's full of that fantastic humour. It's called I'm Going Out with an 80-Year-Old Millionaire. Well, it's jaunty, at least, and it's with the lyrics. I I think the lyrics in this song are possibly the best thing that she wrote. Wonderful lines like that that joke at the end that says, there's only one thing better than an old millionaire, and that's a young millionaireess, and I'm almost there. And that whole implication that in this song, she's a gold digger. She's married this 80-year-old millionaire, waiting for him to die so she can have all of his money. And that's what the song's all about. It's just really, really funny. One of her frequent collaborators over her career was Johnny Marr, who was the guitarist in The Smiths. And as it happens, Morrissey was also an admirer of her vocal talents. And the next track was written by Morrissey and Marr. It was an aborted Smith single, but she did what I think is actually an even better version. And that's what we're going to listen to now. It is You Just Haven't Earned It Yet, Baby. Again, it's only okay. 
Joel, I, I really like that song. I like the Smiths version too. And I think, while I think this has the edge vocally, on the Smiths version, you've got a lot more of Johnny Marr's jangly guitar, which is absolutely fantastic. But I, I really, I really admire that you just haven't earned it yet, baby. So we're now going to go to what was her third album, which was, it's not my favourite album of hers, it's Electric Landlady. I don't suppose you know what the joke is there, do you? No. Well, a very famous album from 1968 by Jimi Hendrix is called Electric Ladyland. And so she named her album from 1991 Electric Landlady. <laughs> so from Electric Landlady is a Cuban-inflected song called My Affair. What about it? I just find it a bit boring and uninteresting. Well, I think you need to pay attention more to the lyrics of these songs. So the whole conceit of that song is the usage of the phrase my affair. So there are two meanings to that. One is it's my business. That's what, if it's my affair, it's my business. But she's also talking about people having relationships that they shouldn't be having. So the play on words in that song is that actually it's my business but it's also having an affair it's it's quite a actually you know what what you don't like about dark songs with happy music might apply here when you actually dig under the surface of what the song's about and also i'm not a lyrics person particularly when it comes to song i'm more of a feel person the feel but the lyrics matter yeah the lyrics matter otherwise every song could just be la 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 and it wouldn't matter then, would it? So now we come to what I suspect is going to be your highlight of the entire CD. And it's from an album that wasn't by Kirsty McCall. It was actually by The Pogues. It was The Pogues' biggest hit, getting to number two. And because she was featured on it very heavily, it was also Kirsty McCall's biggest ever hit. It is, of course, our theme for this episode. It is Fairy Tale of New York. Quite like that one. It's not my favourite. It's not my favourite song, but it's not bad. 
It's a fantastic I like song. It. it is, in my opinion, the best Christmas song out there. I think it's brilliant. You're a bum, you're a punk, you're an old slut on junk. Lying there almost dead on that drip in that bed. I mean, it is a dark song, but it just, it's, I think it's a wonderful Christmas song. Yeah. That opened up the album If I Should Fall From Grace With God. And the reason she's on it is that was produced by her then husband, Steve Lillywhite, who produced the Pogues. He produced lots of other artists, including his wife at one point. But he also produced an album called The Joshua Tree by U2. And I discovered recently that the reason for the track running order on The Joshua Tree is that he asked Kirsty what the track order should be and she picked her four favourite songs and said those should go first. And so the first four songs on The Joshua Tree are there because she told him to put them in that order. So she had a slightly wider reach on music as well. Mm. Her final album before her death was, again, we, we heard My Affair, so we know she's interested in Cuban-style music. And her final album contained quite a bit of that. It's called Tropical Brainstorm. And the first track I've picked from that album is Treachery. I'm stalking a fan Yeah, you like it. You actually yeah. like it. It's not just a, it's okay. It's a me- good, good. What did you like about it? Um, Rhythms, the tonality of it, the fact that it seems to be about a stalker? No. <laughs> uh, it is. <laughs> it's about someone who's been treated badly and seems to have started to follow the person who treated them badly around. You've gone off it, <laughs> that you know what yeah. it's about. Lyrics matter, this was my point. So as I say, that came from Tropical Brainstorm, which was her final album, and she had a real interest in Cuban music. In fact, one of the last things that she did was doing a programme for BBC Radio on Cuban music in Cuba. And she took a holiday to Mexico with her uh, kids, and when she, they were out uh, swimming and diving... In a designated area, a powerboat moving at high speed entered that restricted area. She saw the boat coming and her sons hadn't and she pushed her kids out of the way and the boat killed her. I'm and assuming that boat, the, that boat driver went to prison. Well, no. It, it's It's a really tragic story and the aftermath is even worse because you'd have to look it up and I'm not going to say on here some of the theories that are behind it because they could be considered defamation or libelous about who was really driving that boat. The the person who was driving the boat was found guilty of culpable homicide. They hadn't, it's manslaughter I think in in most, uh, most countries. 
sentenced but was allowed to pay a fine instead of a prison sentence. And that fine value was just over a thousand pesos, which is the equivalent of sixty-one pound. It, it her her death was a real tragic story, but on the other hand, she died saving her children. Mm. Having just told you that story, I could now do a pun on the next song that I picked from Titanic Days, but I'm not going to because it would be out of taste. The next track I've picked is bad. Been the token woman all my life The token daughter and the token wife Now I collected tokens one by one Till I've saved enough to buy a gun Now you can't get even but you can get mad And it's not funny, no, and it's not sad It's just a feeling that I've always had Oh, look out world, I'm about to be bad so, was bad bad or was bad good? It's okay. <laughs> so, that's on the good side of bad, is it? Yeah. I, I think that's a, another great lyric in that song all the way through. And the undertone of menace, which is appropriate for the lyrics, is there in the music as well. I think it's a great mm. song, bad. Moving from bad to innocence. That was my first pick from the Kite album, although you just haven't heard it, Baby is also on the CD version of Kite. But that's the first pick I picked from, from Kite, which I think is probably her best album from 1989. It had a hit single from it, which I haven't put on here, which is Days, which you already know. No. Done by the Kinks. Thank you for the days. Oh, yeah. So yeah. she had a hit single with that as well. This was the follow-up. And it didn't go anywhere. And that seems to be a bit of a story because the next track I've got was the follow-up to a New England called He's on the Beach and that also didn't do much of a success in the charts. Is that a, a meh or a no? Meh. A it's meh. a meh. That's better than a no. What's wrong with that to you? It's boring. It's not boring, it's summery. He's on the beach. It's a summery song, it's great. It's not boring. Whatever it is, it's not boring. 
1989, when she was releasing Kite, she also kind of had a, a residency as a musical artist on the French and Saunders show. And she played various songs from Kite on there and a few other different tracks as well. And this was my first encounter with this track from Kite. And it was set in a diner. There was a whole... It was almost a video, but it wasn't a video. And it's Don't Come the Cowboy With Me, Sonny Jim. The boots just go back on The socks that had stayed on The next time they see you They treat you like dirt The next time they treat you like dirt Now don't come the cowboy With me, Sonny Jim I know lots of those And you're not one of them There's a light in your eyes Tells me somebody's in And you won't come the cowboy With me Well, it depends whether or not you like country, because that is such a country song. I don't particularly like country, so... Well, I still am considering doing you a daddy's introduction to country, because it's such a wide genre, but it is it is a typical country song. So a quick word about the backing vocals. Did you notice anything about them? No. Well, she's one of those rare artists that did all her own backing vocals. And if you listen carefully, as you might hear on a few of the future songs, you'll hear that it is her. You can detect that it's her, but I think that's that's very unusual. They usually get someone else to do it. And part of that is because a lot of her 80s career, due to difficulties with record companies and so, was done doing backup on other people's records. That included, even into the 90s, Welcome to the Cheap Seats by The Wonder Stuff. And her vocals used to add so much, just like they do on Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah. Back to her final album. And this track was utilised by Catherine Tate for her Catherine Tate show as the title music, and it's called In These Shoes. So I'm sitting at a bar in Guadalajara In walks a guy with a faraway look in his eyes He said, I've got a powerful horse outside In these shoes. Um. You don't think so. No. <laughs> I can tell you don't like this one, do you? No. You actually dislike it. Yeah. I'd urge you again in a few years' time, maybe listen to it again and see the genius that's present in those lyrics because they are so comical. Next track is from Titanic Days and is probably amongst her more poignant songs. We'll discuss a little bit why after we've listened to a bit. It is Soho Square. My birthday and I feel so small I don't know why But now I'm not too old to cry 
Nah. I really think this is a collection you'd learn to love if you listen to it more. Because the song craft is almost peerless. The poignancy in this song is in that line, an empty bench in Soho Square. And there is now a bench in Soho Square in London dedicated to her with that line on it. We're going to go to a track now that I discovered through the Galore album, but was actually for the Red Hot and Blue charity album. And Kirsty is reunited with the Pogues for Miss Otis Regrets. When she woke up and found that her dream of love was gone Madam, she ran to the man who had led her so far astray And from under her velvet gown she Now that, that song is a cover of a track written by Cole Porter. Never heard of him. Now Cole Porter wrote many songs that are now part of the Great American Songbook. Things that were written for shows in the 30s and 40s and, and 50s and so on. And Miss Otis Regrets kind of stands alone as a song that he just wrote that wasn't part of a show. It's, a, it's in the tradition of... American murder ballads. So the character of Miss Otis has discovered that her lover is having an affair. Remember, we talked about my affair earlier. And she shoots him dead. And she is then executed. And that's all in the lyrics of the song. And it's a really, really respectful and yet different treatment by the Pogues featuring Kirsty. We're going to return to the third album of Curtin McCall's, which was Electric Landlady, for what is the second and final pick from that. And it's He Never Mentioned Love. Know what? It's a meh. You said you said please like this one, so it's a no. It's a meh. But it's jaunty. It's slightly Cubany again. You liked other elements in different songs. I was hoping you'd like Kirsty McCall. We don't do a huge amount of female artists on this podcast, and this was one that I thought you'd really go for. So let's go back to the Kite album and enjoy a free world.
That one better than the last one, though, Joel. Yeah. Excellent. Salome. Ah, oh, dear. What a way to finish this season. A bunch of mez. Luckily, we've got a bonus coming that I yeah, will like. You, well, you might like it. It doesn't mean I would. Returning to the penultimate time to Titanic Days for Big Boy on a Saturday Night. at least you'd react positively to the opening drum rhythms. That was okay. <laughs> but that's it. Doesn't change the complete... Maybe, complete maybe I should have got song. Steve on again and see what he'd have thought. That only... That where... where maybe I should have brought Neil on, actually. Neil would have given us some the, decent view. He loves... The opening thing of a song has only ever changed my opinion on one song. What was that? Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. Right. Okay, well, we, we might have to revisit that when we get to the Smiths. Folks, spoiler, there's a Smiths CD coming. You know, I mentioned the kind of residency she did with French and Saunders. Yeah. This was another song that she did on that. It's from the Kite album again. And I think it's the best thing on Kite. I like the Kite album, but this is brilliant. It's 15 minutes. This is satire. The tacky photos and the phony smiles Well, it's a bozo's world and you're a Nowhere near 15 minutes. It's only about a two-minute song, but what did you think? It's okay. That's a step up from a mare. Do you know what it's about? No. It's about a famous quote. I don't know if you've heard it before. That in the future, everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. Have you heard that quote? I heard everyone has 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, that comes from a man called Andy Warhol. That's what the song's about. It's that your 15 minutes of fame start now, smiling at people you can't stand and, and pretending and the fact that it's all hooey. And remember, she'd been struggling to make it fully successfully as an artist for a good decade at the point that she wrote this. I think 15 minutes is the best song on Kite. I think it's so cleverly written. The lyrics are absolutely brilliant and they're married to the music fantastically well. But we are, it's not my favourite track off this cd because this is my favorite track and it is they don't know Baby, there's no need for living in the past now i've found a 
No, meh. no, you are better like this. this I'm is not even joking. Brilliant. It is meh. Brilliant song. This was her first single. It was. It should have been a hit, and it wasn't. Apparently, there was a record manufacturing strike or something that basically killed it. Stone dead. The fact that it is such a good song was proven by that. Just three years later, there was a cover version by Tracy Ullman that was an almost carbon copy of the song, which Kirsty McCall herself did the backing vocals on and was involved with, and it reached number two in the chart, and is one of my all-time favourite number two singles. So I did a video on Pock and Rop my YouTube channel, about my top number two singles of the 80s. And it was placed pretty highly because I think They Don't Know is such a good song. It deserved hit status and ultimately it got hit status thanks to that cover by uh, Tracy Ullman. Someone who we will revisit a little bit later. Final pick now from Tropical Brainstorm, her last record. And this takes me back to a place, the story that she tells in this song, I remember watching the football match she's referring to, which is England 2, Columbia 0. If you hadn't passed out while I was talking to your friend, it could have really ended badly, because you very nearly had me. If he hadn't taken pity on my heart full of desire, I might never have found out you're a serial liar. You lied about your status, you lied about your life. You forgot you have three children, you forgot you have a wife. Now it's England too, Columbia nil. And I know just how those Colombians feel. It is not in my nature to ever pick the winning team. Sometimes I think I'm happy, then I remember it's a dream. You, oh no, no, not that. Not one of the best lyrics in pop music ever. It's and messed up. Yes, it is, but it's actually it's a positive message. She was falling in love for somebody who was lying to her about the fact that they were already married and that they had children. I don't know whether it's a true story, whether that really happened, that she was watching the England match from the 98 World Cup when England beat Colombia 2-0. And that's what went on around it. But if it, it's such a well-written story. I mean, you can't fault a lyric like, I didn't mention my kids, I thought I'd wait a bit, but I am free and single and he's a lying git. That's just such good lyric writing. You really need to study lyrics sometimes because they're actually so important to the overall feel of a song, but it's not dark. She escaped... A, a, a potentially really problematic situation. I think it's a great song. You know, I like the actual the backing, but I don't like the theme. Well, you won't like the next song then, because the theme on this one is also very dark, from Titanic Days, and it's about domestic violence. It's called Can't Stop Killing You.
That's okay. dark. That's a dark song, though, isn't it? Yeah. Seems to me that it seems to be about a a man who has killed women and keeps seeing. He said there's a line in it of your face is different, but they're really all the same. That it's actually he's killed the original person that um, in, in a domestic violence thing, but he's carried on and he sees the same woman's face as he's doing it. It's it's really quite a dark song. I could be wrong, and I'm sure people in comments will let me know. That actually concludes our run-through of songs sung by Kirsty McCall. And you'll notice I emphasise the word sung. Now, I was never going to do you a daddy's introduction to Tracy Ullman, but I had to include this song, which is the title track of Tracy Ullman's first album, because Kirsty McColl wrote it and never recorded it, but I wish she had. It's You Broke My Heart in 17 Places. I I like that track. I think it's a shame that Kirsty McCall never recorded a version, or if we, she had, we haven't ever heard it. So that was our run-through of the career of the late Kirsty McCall. I think she is hugely underrated, although she has very many devoted fans. And as we come to the end, it's time for you to take the reins with... Joel's Revenge! Given... Well, this wasn't a, a CD you disliked, was it? So I might no, it was be a mess in, CD. I might be in for a alright revenge, I hope. But let, what have you got for me? Okay, this uh, song is by Imagine Dragons. It's Believer. Okay. So that was Believer. What did you think? It's not the first time I've heard it. I am not averse to Imagine Dragons. And you know this anyway, because in the covers band I'm involved with, First Requests, I play and I sing Radioactive, Radioactive, which I think is a phenomenal song. Believer, I think, has the problem that a lot of Imagine Dragons songs I've heard seem to have and that is it feels like it's a retread of radioactive 
They came out about the same time. No, they're albums apart. They're definitely albums apart. Yeah. But it feels like they're trying to recapture the magic of Radioactive, which is great and not quite hitting the mark each time. I, d- I don't dislike it, by the way. And I, wouldn't, I think I, it's got a different put, style. I would put it above a meh, put it that way. I, think, I, I like it. It's a pleasant revenge for you to have given to me. Okay. But I still can't help thinking they've peaked with Radioactive and I'm not entirely sure they'll ever get back to that peak again. Okay. So that concludes episode 20 of Generation Mix. And that also means it is the end of season one, Joel. Almost. We've got Well, no, it is. Episode. We've got bonus episodes, but this is the formal end of season one because it's the 20th CD in your little book. And we need to move on to book two, which will be season two, which will kick off in August, a year after season one began. Personally, I think book, t- book two is the strongest book. Well, we, we shall see. Tastes change. It's got things like dot, 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 and dot, 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 <laughs> and dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we don't want to give away too much of, of what we've got coming up. Although, the one thing I can say is that there will be a second volume of The Beatles, because you gave that away right at the beginning of episode one. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you, when you talked about Blackbird not being on the second volume? But it's on so, the third. Now you've given away the fact there's a third volume of The Beatles. <laughs> It's really obvious. (laughs) Well, we are going to be filling the gap between now and August when we do start season two with some bonus episodes. There's not going to be a musical clue at the end of this one because it'll be two months or so before we actually record the start of season two. So don't bother listening out for the musical clue. But... Other than the bonus episodes, why not head on over to YouTube? I've got a music channel called Pock and Rop. Joel has a gaming channel called Fox Eating Nuggets Gaming. The links to both will be in the descriptions for the podcast, so you can always find them. And that concludes episode 20 and season one of Generation Mix. So thank you very much for listening. Bye! Generation Man